Well, good evening, gentlemen. It's good to be here with you. Um, the average male lifespan is about 80 years. I don't know if you knew that. Here in America, guys, we're gonna go ahead and start pulling that out. The average male lifespan for the American male is about 80 years. And here's how that plays out. Since they're about 12 inches in a foot, right? Stick with me here. There's about 12 inches in a foot um, and, and there are 12 months in a year, right? 12 inches a foot, 12 months in a year. And each foot of this tape measure, right? These gentlemen are extending it around the room represents, get this, one year of your life. Stretched out 80 feet long. You can lay it down if you want. Y'all can just set it there where it's at. We'll leave it there. And each inch, if 12 inch in a foot, each inch is gonna represent a month of your life. And so here, stretched out before us, even as we start tonight, is, is this, is, is the appropriate to scale view of your entire life laid out from that door all the way out to that door stretched out before you. Now, now here's the thing as we get started tonight, I thought I would highlight, and it's this, that there are plenty of people, plenty of people in your life, gentlemen, who would desire to impose their will on how you spend that 80 years, right? I don't know if you're like me, but I've got plenty of people that would like to tell me how I'm gonna spend those 80 years. When I was younger, it was a parent. Mom, dad, this is, what, this is how you're gonna spend your time. This is what you're gonna do. Some of us still, it's a parent that would like to impose their will on how we're gonna spend it. Some of us, and all of us probably, it's a boss man, right? We've all got the boss man who's gonna say, here's how you're gonna spend your time and here's my will for you. And it changes the way we live, changes what we do. We've got a spouse. Probably, you know, a lot of us, are, our spouse will impose their will. Honey, I need you to do this. I need you to spend your time on this. Here's the honeydew or whatever it ends up being, Right? Some of us might be a neighbor. For a lot of us, it's, it's popular culture. It's just, there's this popular culture that beckons us to live in a certain way and to shape our life and it imposes our will, its will on us. And so we're gonna do certain things and we're gonna buy certain things. And we're gonna act in a certain way. It's probably advertisers, you know? And here's the even truth about this. You yourself fit into that category. You impose your will. You're gonna spin those 80 years. And listen, not all those aims are bad. Not all those people are bad that they would speak into your life and, and speak into my life. That's not a bad thing, right? But here's the thing. If there's one will, if there's one will that you and I should be interested in, it's God's will. What's God's will for my life? Gentlemen, what, what's God's desire for your life, you and I, during these 80 years that we get on this rock? Strange though, here it is, how, how that, what's the one topic that seems to be elusive to us sometimes? What would God want for me in this situation? What was God, what God, you know the number two question, I've been in ministry about 15 years now, the number two question I would say that I've gotten is, is this, people come to me and they say, why, Brian, did fill in the blank happen? I don't understand why this thing happened in my life. Why did I lose this loved one? Why did the car wreck happen? Why did the recession happen? Why did I lose the money? Why did this tragedy, whatever it is, fill in the blank, why did it happen? And that's the, the number two question, but I'll tell you the number one question, that in 15 years of ministry, folks have sat across a desk or across coffee and, and looked at me and asked, Brian, what is God's will for me in, in this area of my life? I can't, I can't figure it out. What is it that God would want me to do? And I'm sure you'd like to, to, to possibly know what that is for you. Hey, what would that God's will be for my life? And for some of us, we may know it, but we're scared to do it. We, we are, the question is, are we even gonna do it? 
You know, I read recently, there's really three reasons why us as men fail to live out God's will for our lives. One of them is that we're fearful. It's that, it's that, that deal of like, I'm scared to do it. Part of, part of it, the second reason is, is really this, that we're, we're entitled. I shouldn't have to do that. God, I know you want me to do that. I don't think I should have to do that. There's an entitlement there, if we're honest. For some of us, it's, it's simply there's a perfectionism there. If you're kind of like me, it's I don't wanna do that if I can't do it well. And so I'm just not gonna do it. But either way, I want, I want to do a little interaction with you. And I don't want you to raise your hand. I'm not asking you to raise your hand. But I, as we get started tonight, I just want you to answer these questions really in your, in your head for me as, as we get started. How many of you, again, don't raise your hand. How many of you would, would say that you would like to know God's will in a given area of your life right now? I'm, I'm sure a lot of us would go, yeah, I would. I'd like to know what God would say about that. How he would he direct me in that? How many of you, let me ask this other question, don't raise your hand. How many of you can confidently say that you know God's will in every area of your life right now? Here's, here's the third question. Just think about this. How, how would you respond to this one? How many of you are prepared, if you knew God's will, to act on it? It's tough. Our, our title for today, gentlemen, is, is how a man finds the will of God. I can't think of a more exciting topic and kind of really daunting topic to be able to speak on how a man finds the will of God. And as we look at these passages to manhood, that's what we're doing, these key passages that for us to live out our manhood as men in Christ that we would wanna know, our passage for tonight is Philemon. You go Philemon chapter what? Verse what? It's just Philemon. By the way, Philemon is a one-chapter book in the Bible. It's 25 verses in the New Testament. And if you have your Bible with you, I want to encourage you to flip to it tonight. The book of Philemon. When was the last time you read it? Have you ever read it? Um, it's a jewel. Um, and, and here's the thing. It's actually a letter. We say it's a book of the Bible, but really, here's what it is. It's really a letter written between two men, one challenging the other to follow God's will in a tough situation and maybe even a tense situation. And, and I wanna stop even right now and, and read that to you because it's only 25 verses. We're gonna take a second. And if you wanna read along, that's fine. If you wanna listen, then that's fine as well. The letter of Philemon. It says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your house. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have towards the Lord Jesus and towards all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is for you in Christ Jesus. For I've come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake, I, I rather appeal to you since I'm such a person as Paul, the, the aged and now a prisoner of Christ. For I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, who have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you, he says, and to me. I've sent him back to you in person. That is sending my very heart, who I wish to keep with me, so that on your behalf, he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I didn't want to do anything. So for your goodness, 
would not be in effect by compulsion, but by your own free will. For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while, that you'd have him back later, no longer a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in flesh and in the Lord. If you then regard me a partner, accept him as you would accept me. And if he's wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, I'm writing this with my own hand and I'll repay it. Not to mention that you owe me even yourself as well. Yes, brother, he says, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ and having confidence in your obedience. He says, I write to you since I know that you'll do even more than what I say. And then he makes some closing remarks and he says, at the same time, also prepare for me some lodging. The hope that through your prayers, I'll be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, greet you as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, the fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So here's what we have, this book of Philemon. The writer is Paul, wrote most of the New Testament. He's writing and the recipient is this gentleman named Philemon. Who is Philemon? Philemon was a wealthy Greek Christian landowner in the city of Colossae, okay? About, a, about 100 miles east of Ephesus at the time, the Christians in Colossae actually met at his house. That's why he says they meet in your house. They met in his house and his son, this guy Philemon's son was the pastor of the Colossian church. So he knows Paul well. Here's why. Paul led him to Christ. Paul led this guy Philemon to Christ. And now he writes him this letter. He's the recipient of the letter. The subject of the letter Here's who the subject is. It's this guy named Onesimus. Who is that, right? You know, who has a name like Onesimus? He's a guy named Onesimus. He was Philemon's, get this, he was Philemon's runaway slave who's also a thief. Stole from Philemon, as far as we can tell, and ran away. The setting is, is Paul's writing is he was on house arrest. He wasn't in a prison necessarily at this point in his time. He's in house arrest, his first imprisonment in Rome. And, and I always think, you know, gosh, as a side note, gentlemen, you know, if Paul can, uh, can do ministry from a prison, which most of his letters are written in, I'm sure God can use me in my situation. You know, I'm not, not there now. He can use you in that situation. The historical background, here's what's interesting. It's, it's, it's really one, a background of slavery in the Roman Empire. That's what this book is predominantly about. I have a picture with me tonight here of, of these guys here. Um, that uh, there are on... Your left, my right, is, is what they would call like a slave collar or a tag with, written in the language of the day saying, please return the slave, if you find him, return him to his owner. And, and here's the thing. At this time, at this time, this, this, this letter was written between these two men. There were about 60 million, I didn't misspeak, 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. It counts for about 50% of their population. Half people in the Roman Empire were, were, were in slavery. They were considered living tools. They were, they were thought by a lot of people that didn't even have souls. It was kind of a different, different thing. And, it's, and, it's, and a lot of this, because of this, these, a lot of these slaves were treated pretty brutally. Now, granted, some of them lived in their homes and were counted as part of the family, and it was a good thing for them. A lot of them were treated pretty brutally. And because of this, a lot of them ran away. It was pretty common for slaves to take off and run away. And, and, and think about it, it wasn't a racial issue back then because if you were Indo-European and you were a slave, you could just take off and then blend into the culture, blend into the crowd, go to another city and they, they had no way of knowing that's who you were, right? You kind of start your life over, do something like, unless you got caught. Unless you got caught. Pretty significant. If a runaway slave was caught, it was not a good thing for them. Talking, I mean, they'd probably be maimed, beaten definitively, branded, so see in a minute, or, or for sure killed. 
legally, all those things. The most popular punishment was to brand the letter F. And that's why I use this picture. It's from Spartacus. It's not a Nisimus, but, but it's, it's historically actually accurate because it's got this word fugitivus on his, on his head. They would actually, that's not exactly accurate. They would brand the letter F on your head so that everybody knew that what that stood for, um, fugitivus, which is our word for fugitive. Walk around the rest of your life as fugitive on your, on your head. And, and, and this is kind of the setting. And so, as we look, what we're going to look at is, is this letter between two men, and, and we're going to see a picture of two guys um, from this letter and, and, and see how they discovered God's will for their life and what we can learn there. The first one we're going to look at is Onesimus. And really, I want to share with you four ways that this, that this runaway slave discovered God's will for his life. His entire life and his attitude and what he did is an illustration to you and I. Here's the first thing that, that, that we see is, is it's, it's God's will for everyone to be saved. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says this. It says, the Lord is not slow about his promise. As some count slowness. But he's patient towards you. Not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. I mean, James is saying here that, that it's God's will for men to accept Christ. And, and, and as their savior and to be saved. And, and we can know with certainty, that's God's will for every man. A gentleman comes to you and says, what's God want for my life? We can know, look, God desires that you would know Christ. God's being patient with you. But, but here's the thing, that God's will on our life doesn't make us puppets, right? It doesn't make us as puppets that we don't get to choose. God gave us a choice. We can love him. We could choose to accept him. We could choose not to. And in verse 10, notice this, in Philemon here, Onesimus, we see he was saved. This happened in his life because Paul writes this. He says, my son, Onesimus, who became my son, or maybe in your translation, who was begotten while I was in chains. Paul had the opportunity to lead this runaway slave to Christ. And Onesimus, it, it had a grand impact on his life. So, so here's the question. And we'll, with each one of these, I wanna, I wanna pose a question to you. Each thing from the life of Onesimus, I wanna pose a question to you. And here's the question, I think for each of us in this one is, where are you? Gentlemen, where are you in the process of knowing who Jesus is, first and foremost? What he did for you? and surrendering to him as your savior. There's a, there's a thing that I, I share with folks sometimes. Um, I'm gonna share it with you and put it up on the screen here for you. But, but it's kind of this, this idea of your, of your life is, is a line. And, and I say, look, I don't have to know you. I don't have to know anything about your life. And I know that this, there's two things that are gonna be true about it, okay? You're gonna have two dates that I guarantee you will be a part of your life. One here is on my left, the B, and that's your date you were born. And the one that's on the right is inevitable. One out of one men are gonna die. And I know those are gonna happen. A million other things can happen in your life or not happen in your life. And I know those will happen. But there's this other date. Jesus referenced this. There's this other date that some men will experience. And it's God's will that every one of us would. But there's this, this one other date and it's that X up there. Jesus referred to it as being born again when he was talking to Nicodemus. And this is what he said here in John 3, 5. He says, I say to you, unless one is born of water, which references that, that bee down there, that birth. You ever heard a woman say, oh, my water broke. He's saying, unless you're born of water. He says, and of the spirit, that's this other X. Unless that's the deal, you don't enter into the kingdom of God. And, and so here's how this plays out for, for every one of us. There was this time in our life where we were, we were born and then we started learning about who Christ is. We started learning about the things of God. You know, someone taught you that, you heard it, you went to church, how that played out for you. You start hearing the gospel. And then for some of us, there's that moment, a spiritual rebirth, a spiritual birthday, if you would, 
where we trust Christ. And then the rest of our life after that, if we make that decision, is really a response. The, the first response I put up there is one of baptism. And I'll ask men this all the time. And here's, here's the whole point of this. And you know, you could share this on a napkin at a Starbucks with people. I'll ask them this. I'll ask them, says, hey, where are you on this timeline? It's the most revealing thing, really, spiritually, to ask about it. It's very direct. Where would you put yourself? If you had to put yourself on this timeline, where would you put yourself? I'm on, I'm on the left side of that X. I've heard a lot. I've learned a lot, but I'm not quite there. I've made that decision. I've just passed it, but maybe, maybe I haven't identified with Christ in baptism. Or I'm a little further down the way. You know, God's done some things in my life. Gang, it is God's will for everyone to know Christ. And we see that in the life of Anisimus because he came to Christ. Here's the second thing. It's God's will for his children to be filled with the Holy Spirit instead of filled with themselves. This was a wrestle in Onesimus' life. Ephesians chapter five, Paul in another letter said this. He reminds us, so don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't get drunk with wine for that's dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Hey, make most mistake about it, guys. When we come to Christ, when we accept Christ, we do that first thing that God has wanted us to do. Um, scripture teaches that the Holy Spirit indwells the believer. John chapter seven. John chapter 14, Acts chapter 11, Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 8, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I could go on. All scriptures that mention when we come to Christ, we have the Spirit residing into us. So here's the thing. What is this idea that it's God's will for us to be filled with the Spirit, not with, with ourselves? What does that mean? Well, this filling, the Spirit's not a matter, get this, it's not a matter of acquiring more of the Holy Spirit. Guys, it's rather the Spirit of God acquiring more of the believer. You think about that for a second. It's not a matter of the, 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 the acquiring more of the Holy Spirit. We have all we ever need when we accept Christ. It's a matter of, of the Spirit of God acquiring more of the believer. Every one of us, men, it's God's will that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's accomplished when every believer, when you and I, were fully yielded to the will of God in our life. And it puts us in this spiritual condition where the Holy Spirit controls us. The Holy Spirit empowers us. We allow him to have room in that part of our life. Some rudimentary examples I've always shared with my, my son and, 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 and folks in student ministry and just all around are, are these. One, it's like the car keys. Everywhere I go, you and me, you know, I don't like running places, so um, I like to drive. So this idea of a car keys, but you know, if I, were to, if I were to walk out to the parking lot with you and we were gonna go somewhere, decide we were gonna go eat some dinner and I handed you the car keys, I said, all right, there you go. I've just told you something. I just said, hey, you get to decide. You're controlling where we head. You turn right or turn left. The illustration is simple. Is what, is, what does it mean to allow the Holy Spirit to have more of me? It's to say, here you go. Right or left. What's your will for me? I'll let you have them. It's the illustration of a throne. Only, only one sits on king on the throne. Who's on the throne of my heart? And, and, and here's the thing. It could be in this area that I've, I've said, yes, Lord, you can be on the throne of that area. But on this area, no, you can't have that. I'm on the throne. Every man, it's God's will that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the, it's the, I got a science background. It's that law of displacement, right? No object can, no two objects can, can be in the same space together. So if you got a cup of water and you throw some ice in it, water's gonna overflow. I can't be in control and God can't be in control at the same time. It's God's will that I would allow God to acquire more of me. Back to Onesimus. How do we know that he was filled with God's Spirit? And he wasn't filled with himself. Well, first off, look at his story. Here's, here's how this plays out. He sought out Paul. Think of this. This is a runaway slave. He knows what the stakes are. And he seeks out Paul. 
Paul was under house arrest in Rome. I mean, in this time, he's not in prison where he's exposed to all these other captured criminals. No, Onesimus seeks him out. He sought him out. And I suspect it was a lot like maybe the prodigal son story that Jesus taught. Right after running to chase the pleasures of the world, this guy, Onesimus, wakes up one day, realizes how much trouble he's in. He longed to go home. Man, if I could just, just need to make things right. And his plan was to go home. But in order to do that, he needed to find Paul. You'll see how that plays out in a moment. And I believe it's because he he, Paul had led him to Christ and he was allowing God to, to take more and more of his life. God, what's your plan for me? Second, and more importantly, I think, is that Onesimus actually went home. He didn't just go see Paul and go, well, what do you think about this? Hey, gang, he went back and he knew what that was gonna cost him, could cost him. It was God's will that Paul, get this, would write the letters to the church in Colossae. We have a book in our Bible called Colossians. It's that letter. And Philemon, we have that book. We're reading it tonight. It was delivered to the church at Colossae. It was God's will for that. And God used Nismus to bring those letters when he went home. Under the risk of being beaten, under the risk of being branded, he sacrificed his self-will. I believe it was the spirit inside of him. And you know what? I'll, I'll tell my, my kids uh, this a lot. I'll, I'll, we'll sit around the dinner table and I'll, I'll sit with them. I'll just, and I'll quiz them. And I, I'll say, hey, listen, hey guys, what's the safest place in the world? Safest place in the world. They'll, they'll throw out stuff. You know, my, my youngest seven-year-old, church. Not always, but okay. What's the safest place in the world? And, and then I always remind them, you know where the safest place in the world is to be men? Right in the middle of God's will. We're so scared of what God's gonna do. The safest place you and I can be is right in the middle of where the Lord wants us to be. I think Onesimus, through the spirit in him, acquiring more of him, began to realize that. I can go home. Here's the question. What area of your life does the Holy Spirit need to acquire more of your heart? What area of your life does the Holy Spirit need to acquire more of your heart? Here's the third thing we see. It's God's will for all believers to be sanctified. It's a big church word, sanctified. You can fill in the blank, this third blank there, sanctified. First Thessalonians chapter four says this, for it is the will of God. You couldn't get any more direct than this. For it is the will of God, your sanctification. By the way, then he goes on to talk about a lot of sexual sins, which I think for most of us guys, sanctification is gonna involve dealing with a lot of sexual issues in our life. But there's a whole other gamut of that. And while we'll never be perfect, get this, we'll never be, sanctification means to look more like Christ. While we'll never be perfect while we're alive here, we need to strive to be perfectible. There's a difference. There's a difference. It's God's will that we be free from some of those entanglements of sin, that, that we be sanctified. You know, God, God loves me the way I am, but he loves me enough not to leave me that way, Right? And, and, and so it's this idea in verse 11, you see this in Onesimus' life. And I love this about him. You know what his name means? Onesimus, his actual name, it means useful. And Paul, what a genius. He's making a play on words here when he writes this letter to Philemon because he says formally, he says he was formally un-Onesimus. He's formally unuseful. He didn't live out his, his namesake. He wasn't living to be the man God called him to be made him to be. He was formerly unanimous to you and now he's become anonymous both to you and to me. Well, how did he become useful? This transition to be more Christ-like, guys, had become active in his life and anonymous and Paul recognized it and, and then he went home. Sanctification was starting to happen in his life. It was God's will that he would become more Christ-like. And guys, when we become more like Christ, 
we become more useful. When we become more sinful, that's destructive. When we become more Christ-like, we're useful to God. Look how God used Onesimus. And here's the question. What areas of your life simply need to transition to become more Christ-like? Where, where is the sanctification process in your life still active? Where does God need to work? Where do you need to allow him to work? Here's the last thing we see from Onesimus is, is God's will that we be submissive. Submissive, that's the next blank there. And that's not a word that we like to use in a men's study, really. Oh, well, I went, when you went to men's study tonight, what did you learn about? I learned about being submissive. Well, I don't wanna hear about that. But gentlemen, if you don't hear anything else, if you don't hear anything else, please, please hear this. Hear this. For Onesimus to do God's will, he had to stop running away. You get that? He had to stop running. In order to do God's will, he had to submit to God's command that he return home to Philemon. That's his circumstance. He had to submit to Paul as his spiritual mentor. He had to submit to Philemon as his, as his earthly boss. He had to stop running. Gang, that's the key to the entire, the entire book, the entire passage, is that Philemon came to Christ and he quit running. And he went home. And he did what the Lord had called him to do. Most men, including myself, spend a significant part of their lives running from God, running from God's will. Think of this timeline. There's a lot of us men that spend a lot of feet on here running from the Lord's will for us. I think kind of the reason we run, maybe the reason, same reason we don't like to make doctor's appointments, right? I don't like to deal with what they're gonna say. I don't like to do with that. The issue typically, typically doesn't have to do, spiritually, at least in our lives, with, with this idea of, well, well, I refuse, I refuse to accept Christ or, or I refuse to be baptized, the actual actions there of doing it. Rather, the problem actually for most of us men, you know what it involves? It involves this idea of submitting our lives to the will of God in our lives. Because I wanna be in control. I wanna be able to do that. We get so caught up, friends, we get so caught up in, in our own things, our careers and our, our families and our, our, our things, recreational things we do, our hobbies. That guys, we refuse to recognize God's calling us to this particular thing. Let me just focus in on one thing because we could talk about a lot of things here, but one area where I would go, hey, where, where do I need to submit to God's will? Is this, hey, where are you serving the Lord in his church? You know what is, is God's will for every single believer that, that, that you have a spiritual area where you are serving? Are you fulfilling your role? Spiritual service, do you know what it is? Are you ignoring the call of God in your life in that area? We could tease that out in a lot of different areas. You know what the word submission means, really? The entomology of it, the actual word study on it is, is this. It's actually real simple. When I learned it, I went, oh, that makes so much sense. It's submission, that I would place my mission underneath someone else's mission. That I go, here's my mission. Here's what I would like to do. Here's where I'm planning to go. Here's how I'm planning to spend my time. But, but God has told me this is his will for me. I'm gonna place mine underneath that because the safest place I can be is where? Right in the middle of God's will. I tell that to my son all the time. And, and gentlemen, here's the thing. I, I know what it is to run. I'm not speaking to you on this out of, out of inexperience. I, I know what it is to run. I, I've spent a significant part, you look at this timeline, a significant part of the last year of my life running from something. 
I've spent the last year probably, uh, yeah, it's been an entire year running from reaching out to my father. Many of you know me, but you don't know this part of my, my life. Uh, my dad um, has, a, has a bipolar depressive disorder. Um, he deals with a lot of depression, uh, all the things that come with that. And he also has uh, a lot of reoccurring drug abuse issues. And about last year after Easter, I kind of lost touch of him. I know where he lives. I know where he's at. One week turned into two, two weeks turned into three, turned into months. I would reach out to him, call him, wouldn't hear anything back from him. And just prior to Easter this year, gentlemen, I had a, a good friend of mine who loved me enough to look at me and we sat down and we, was, we were talking. He looked me in the eye and he says, you need to go find your dad. And guys, I'll be honest with you. You know the reason I ran from that? I was afraid of what I was gonna find. I was afraid of what I was gonna find. I was afraid if I dug into that a little bit, I might not like what I saw. And so I ran from him. And so I'll tell you this, after Easter, we take the Monday after Easter off here at the church and I drop my kids off at school. And it's in part from this study right here. I dropped my kids off at school, packed up my Jeep. And guys, I went to go find my dad. Now, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I didn't find him that day. And that was a couple weeks ago and I still haven't. I'm still in process there, but I, but I did find out a lot more about his situation, where he's at, what he's dealing with, some of the people that are around him and what's going on there. And I've made this commitment to the Lord that every Friday from here on out, as far as it's concerned with me, I'm gonna pursue him and I'm gonna pursue that relationship. I'm gonna do what I can. Guys, I know what it is to run. And, and here's the thing, Anisimus, it blew me away. He stopped running and I had to stop running and I had to engage God's will for me and I had to submit to his command. Here's the question with this one is, where is it you need to stop running and submit to the Lord's command for you? It's God's will for every one of us that we would submit. Now there's another character in this story and his name's Philemon, right? Two very different men. One, a slave, a thief, came to Christ, life turned around. The other one's Philemon, Philemon wealthy landowner. Paul writes this letter to him and you know there's some pretty good illustrations from his life as well. I wanna walk us through them a little more briefly though. First thing is this, we learn the will of God and we see this from Philemon. We learn the will of God through his word. We learn the will of God through his word. First, Paul wrote, Paul writes this letter to Philemon and, and he writes with authority. You realize here that this letter that he writes was inspired by the Holy Spirit, right? It's because it's in our Bible now. He, this was inspired by God for him to write this to Philemon. It was no mere request to Philemon. Hey, I need you to deal with this former slave. I need you to accept him as you accept me. I need you to do the right thing here. He, he writes this and in verse 21 of this book here, he concludes, he says, confident, confident of your obedience. I write to you knowing that you'll do even more than I ask. Philemon, get this, this blew my mind. Philemon experienced knowing God's will for him through God's word, through God's inspired word. He experienced it right there in that moment. I received this, this is God's word to me. Guys, we can do that too. We can experience God's will for us through God's word. We just gotta, we gotta go look for it. A lot of folks will ask me, you know, you hear this all the time, well, why doesn't God just speak audibly? Wouldn't it be so much easier to know God's will for me, right? If he would just, if he would just speak up and go, Brian, you need to do this. Then at least I have to deal with the fact whether I'm scared to do it or not, right? It's just now I know what he wants me to do. So many people say that. Well, why, why didn't he do that, you know? The reason God doesn't speak audibly today, man, is actually quite simple. It's because he's already spoken. He's already spoken. I hope you realize that. We just have to read his word. 
Find out what is God's will for me. We learn the will of God through his word. Secondly, we see this in Philemon's life as we learn the will of God through prayer. Look at Paul. Paul was a prayer warrior. He mentions this in verse four. He says, I thank my God, always making mention of you of my prayers because I hear your faith and et cetera, et cetera. He says, man, I'm, I'm praying for you. I'm, I'm praying, I'm doing that. And we learn in verse 22, this was, this was going on with Paul. This was going on with Philemon. Philemon was a prayer warrior as well. He says this, he says, uh, Paul's writing to him. He says, at the same time, prepare some lodging for me. Just kind of closing remarks, but he says, for I hope that through your prayers, I'll be given to you. They had that kind of relationship. He knew, hey, you're praying for me. I know I'm getting on my knees to pray for my friend. Pray God's will, what's going on in my life. James 2 reminds us, you have not because you ask not. And I love Psalm 32. I'm putting it on the screen for you. It teaches us that, look, if we ask God to know his will, look at what it says he'll do. It says, I will instruct you and I will teach you in the way you should go. God promises that I will counsel you with my eye upon you. But we bring it before him in prayer. The problem is this, gentlemen, a lot of us, here's what we do, right? We decide what we're gonna do Right? And then we bring it to God and ask God to bless that. Gentlemen, we, we have it backwards. We have it backwards. There's this idea that we learn God's will as we pray and we bring it to him and he promises us, I'll counsel you. That leads us to the last thing we see in Philemon's life or the second to last one. He says, we learn the will of God. And here's the blank, through godly counsel. Fill in that blank there, godly Counsel. Men, do you have godly counsel in your life? Not just counsel, there's a big difference. Godly counsel. The mantra here of our Iron Men group is really based on Proverbs 27, 17, right? As, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. This idea that we would sharpen other, counsel other in, in a godly way and, and steer each other in towards God's will for us. You get this. It was no accident that Onesimus sought out Paul. It wasn't an accident. It didn't happen by accident. He went to Paul because he knew, okay, hey, Paul is one of the few men that can provide godly counsel to me. He can get me on the track God needs me to be. Guys, do you have men like that in your life? I pray you do. There was this thing called the advocacy clause, okay? In Roman law, this is really interesting. In Roman law, if a runaway slave um, wanted to appeal to the aggrieved party, just like Onesimus would want to do, they want to appeal, okay, I've, I've ran away, I need an appeal. They could do that, but not through themselves. They would have to go to a third party, an intermediary, if you would, who would, who would then intercede on their behalf. Now, this party had to be either a partner with that aggrieved person or an authority over them. You had to have some kind of relationship there with them based on their position of authority. Then they could go to the aggrieved person on behalf of the runaway slave or criminal and, and seek restitution, seek, seek forgiveness. That's why Paul says in verse 17, notice this. He says, so if you consider me a partner, he wasn't just saying, if you consider me a buddy or a friend, he's appealing to this advocacy clause in Roman law. He knew it. If you consider me a partner, then welcome him as you'd welcome me. It's also in verse 18, Paul goes on and he says, I'll pay the price for Onesimus' crime. Paul provided some godly counsel to Onesimus. By the way, consequently, it's also a great picture of Christ's salvation to us. Look how this plays out. Philemon here in this picture is, is, is the owner. He's the owner, he's God. I mean, we're the runaway criminal. We're the Onesimus. We're the runaway criminal. The third party intermediary role assumed by Paul here is a wonderful picture of what Christ has, has done for us. Taking the crimes on himself, right? Despite his innocence and paying him himself. 
It's a picture of Christ. Godly counsel. We learn God's will through godly counsel. And the last thing we see, and it's last for a reason, but it's also true, is we learn the will of God through providential circumstances. A lot of people refer to this as like opening doors or closing doors. Those are circumstances that, that when they're happening, when they're going on in your life, they seem to be by accident or chance or it just came about. But really, when you look back at that, you see God's hand creating opportunities, shutting off other opportunities to guide us in a particular direction. I mean, think about this. At the time, it must have seemed just like providential circumstance that, that Philemon met Paul. Paul became friends. They played a significant role in each other's life. Paul leads him to Christ. It must have also seemed like a pretty providential circumstance, just circumstantial, that Philemon, this runaway slave, ends up 1,500 miles away in Rome, where Paul is. But with 2020 hindsight, right, we, you look at that, it was clear to the hand of God, guiding his children through these circumstances, the places and the people he wanted them with in each of their lives. Think about the circumstances of your life. You know, I think about a lot of times we look at our circumstances, we go, I don't like the circumstance I'm in. I don't like the situation I'm in. I got this silly little thing I read about not too long ago and I want to, want to share it with you. It's kind of a physical reminder. When I get there, when I go, I don't, I'm frustrated. Maybe I'm a little depressed or just, just, just annoyed at my circumstances. I'll take my pen out and I'll hold it and, and look at it down the barrel. Just to sit at my desk, you know, or whatever. I'll look at it down the barrel and it'll just remind me this, that hey, when I look at life, from the narrowness of just this day, just these circumstances, you know, just where I'm at right now. Yeah, man, my, my problems seem like a big deal. You know, I'm just looking at it through today. I don't, I don't see what God is doing, but then I'll turn it sideways. This is something you could take with you everywhere you go. We got these Iron Man pins. I'll turn it sideways and I'll see the broadness of the pin and I'll be reminded like this timeline that stretches across here, that guys, in the broadness of my grander life thing, the circumstances I'm in now, while maybe uncomfortable to me, God can and will use those not only to direct me, but to show me his will, right? It's this idea that a challenge in respect to today is a big problem. But a challenge in respect to our, our lifespan is a little problem. But friends, hey, a challenge in respect to eternity is no problem. And God will use our circumstances if we'll allow to have the faith to see in them with perspective. And it gives us peace. It should give us peace. God is working and he's directing. Now here's the rest of the story. It's, it's, it's interesting how this thing plays out. That's, that's, that's Paul's letter to Philemon about this runaway slave, Onesimus. Well, hey, get this. This runaway slave, Onesimus, is not only responsible for this book in the Bible, but he's also responsible, I mentioned this earlier, for carrying the Colossian letter to the church at Colossae. Um, Paul writes in the last verses in Colossians chapter four, he writes, he, Tychius, is coming with Onesimus, our faithful Dear brother, who's one of you, they'll tell you everything that's happening here. Also, there's, we see this later. Um, there was a church leader named Ignatius. And, and he writes this letter to the church in Ephesus because what happened to Ignatius, the early church father, um, he is, is, is uh, captured and marched to Rome to his death for not worshiping Caesar. And as he's marching to Rome, he's allowed to write to pin some letters to the different churches at the time. Um, and he writes a letter to the church in Ephesus. And as he writes that, he refers to the bishop in the church in Ephesus. And you know what that bishop's name was? Onesimus. Now here's the thing. I can't tell you with 100% accuracy that that's the same man. But it's, but it's pretty impressive. You can go read the letters. Those letters still exist today. And, and, and it's interesting that Ignatius used the same wording, the same language to describe this man in his letters Paul used 
to write to Philemon. It's led a lot of theologians to think, hey, that's one and the same guy. Here's the other thing. The church in Ephesus, who this guy Onesimus ended up being the pastor of, you know what they did? It was the one church about 50 years after this account, which I don't call it a story. You know, stories are something that's made up. When I talk about something happening in the Bible, it's an account. These men were real. These men existed. 50 years after this count, you know what the church in Ephesus did? They gathered up Paul's writings and they formed one of the first Bibles, the first canon. No surprise that when that was formed up, this letter Philemon ended up in there. It seems a little obtuse, a little different to end up in there, except if you're the guy compiling it, you know how, how important it is. And God used that. And here's the thing. We don't know if this Onesimus of Ephesus is the same fellow, but I guess we'll find out in heaven. I told my son that the other day. I said, maybe we'll see Onesimus in heaven who have a big F stamped on his head. And my son goes, no, no, dad, remember, we get new bodies. I was like, you've been listening, you've been listening. Church, I don't know if he's gonna be the same fellow. We'll find out in heaven, but here's the thing, regardless of whether he ever achieved the role of pastor, he was a former slave who found the will of God. And in doing so, he gives us all a life lesson to remember. So as we look at God's will for our own lives, I ask you this, what circumstances has God placed in your life to direct you into his will? Because we learn the will of God through providential circumstances. Are you open to the godly counsel of others? Because we learn the will of God through godly counsel. Are you spending adequate time in God's word? Because we learn the will of God through his word. Have you prayed in an unbiased way? God, what's your will for me? And, and that he would instruct you in the way you should go because we learn the will of God through prayer, gentlemen. Where is it you need to stop running and submit to the Lord's command to you? Because guys, it's, it's God's will that we would be submissive to that. No matter who you are, where you come from, it's God's will we'd be submissive to that. What area of your life needs to transition to become more Christ-like? Because gang, for every single one of us, it's God's will that we would be sanctified. We'd look more like Christ tomorrow than we did today. And what area of your life does the Holy Spirit need to acquire more of your heart? Because it's God's will for his children to be filled with the Holy Spirit, not with themselves, not with myself. And lastly, for some of us in the room, where are you in the process of knowing who Jesus is and what he did for you and surrendering to him as your Lord? Because guys, it's God's will for every man to be saved. Now I wanna, I wanna wrap up with this but I need three volunteers. Can I get some guys, brave men? I need some tough, strong guys. Come on up, come on up. I need two more. One more. Come on up. Come on. You guys stand here. Um, I, need, I need one of you guys to stand here, one of you guys to stand here, and one of you guys to stand right here. You can pick wherever you want. There's this, there's this professor, okay, at a university, and this is what he says to his class. He's teaching them about physics, and he's teaching them about this idea of the law of the pendulum. The law of the pendulum states this, guys, that a pendulum, when you swing it out to its highest point and release it, will not return back to that same height. And he asked the class, do you believe in the law of the pendulum? They say, yeah, we believe it. You've been teaching us about it. We believe it. He asked them again, do you, did you really believe in the law of the pendulum? You really believe that? They go, yeah, we believe that. There's one, one kind of brash guy on the front row goes, of course we believe that. Everybody knows that's true. He goes, okay, come here. And then he pulls back the curtain, right? And he's created this pendulum hanging from the ceiling with a two 45-pound weights on it. And he, and he, he asks the guy, he says, stand in this chair, right? He says, stand in this chair. And he says, you stand in that chair for me? And he goes, no, you gotta stand. Guys, would y'all hold this really strongly? 
And he says, stand in this chair. And he goes, hold this weight. Hold this weight for me, don't let it go. And then he asked that young man, he goes, now do you believe in the law of the pendulum? I'm a little more shaky now. He goes, uh, yeah, yeah, I do. He goes, all right, let go of it. Don't let go of it. Let go of the weight. I'm not going to make you let go of it. You can let go, but I'm not going to make you let go of it. I'm just kidding. Y'all guys go take a seat. I was going to do it, but I'm not going to. Um, I'm not intellectually at a swing, but that pendulum is not trustworthy. But here's the thing. The professor, thank you, gentlemen. Y'all give him a hand. We appreciate them. Um, the professor tells him, let go. Young man, let's go. Swings out. Starts coming back towards him. What do you think he does? He gets off that chair. And you know what that illustrates, guys? That illustrates this thing that I, that, that I was reading about the other day. I think it's so important for us when we look at God's will. It's this idea of the law of action, and it says this, it doesn't matter what we say we believe, gentlemen. Do you know God's will for you in a certain area of life? Even if you said, yes, I do, and we just looked at a lot of different ways to seek that out and find that. It doesn't matter what we say God's will is for our life. Our real beliefs are revealed by how we act. By how we act. Now I wanna give you one minute to write down your own takeaway from tonight. Go. All right, now don't go anywhere yet. Here's what we're gonna do. We've done this every week. I'm gonna ask you, I'm gonna put up two discussion questions on the board. Get in groups, three, four, five at the most. And we're gonna take the next six, seven minutes. Okay, we're not, we still got plenty of time before 7.30 tonight. We're gonna let's still get you out early, okay? We'll take the next six or seven minutes. And I want you to just discuss these two questions. Here's, here's the two questions. One, what are the areas of your life that you find that are just toughest to discern God's will? What are those areas where you go, you know, I just, it's, it's, it's difficult for me to find. And then here's the other question is, what can the life, this life of this runaway slave Onesimus say to you specifically about how to discern God's will in an area of your life? Break up into groups of four, five, six. Take about five, six minutes. I'll pull us back together. We'll have a closing prayer after that. Go. All right, gentlemen. Hey, I'm gonna pull us all back together real quick. I know some of y'all are talking. Don't worry, you're welcome after we officially dismiss to stay and talk as long as you want. But I also wanna dismiss us to give some of us a chance who, who need to leave to leave. Let, let me just put a wrap up and a bow on this by, by saying, by saying, by saying this, this right here. Is that, look, Onesimus, this, this runaway slave, stopped running from God's will in his life. He, he embraced it. And, and, and God used him. Guys, may, may we be the type of men who have the desire and the determination to find what God's will is for us and, and have the bravery to step into it and that that would make all the difference. Let me, let me close us as we wrap up tonight just, just in, in prayer, okay? Let me just close the prayer. Would you pray with me? Let's bow. Heavenly Father, I, I ask you that you give these men a desire and a drive to seek after your will for them in their homes, Father, in their marriages, Father, in a season of singleness they may find themselves in, in their workplaces, in service of your kingdom. Father, we pray that you would clearly show your will to them. God, we're thankful that you don't hide your will from us. Lord, I pray that every man in this room would, would stop running and would submit to what you have commanded them to do. That we would be defined as men who don't simply know your will, but that we take action on it. God, we thank you that when we seek you, you tell us when we seek you with the heart, we'll find you. 
God, bless these men now as we spread out from him. May we be effective for you both today and this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Gentlemen, uh, it's good to have you here tonight. Couple, couple things on the way out. If you're interested in a shirt, you never got one. You're welcome to give them their $5 in the back. Um, also, we said this every week, we're just podcasting these messages. If you've got a, a friend or, you know, I just went on vacation with my family last week, didn't get to hear Micah speak last week, listen to it on the podcast on the way back along with my son. Excellent resource. You know of a man who needs to hear this stuff, share it with them. If you just simply search, uh, he didn't put it up on the screen. If you search second North Ironman, you'll find it. Hey, y'all have a great week. Look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you for being here.